Beloved, I'm tempted to just to say that's all and have us exit the building, but I do have a message, and if you'll give me just a moment, I'll try to collect myself. After weeks of studying the cross and the horrible cruelty of the cross, after weeks of being immersed and trying to identify with what it was like for those early disciples who loved the Lord so much and who had to see him crucified for the confusion, for the despair, for the heartache and hurt. As we've looked at that and studied that, I've just got to tell you today is the hallelujah of it all. The tomb is empty. This portion of scripture has brought us to that place. Calvary was not the end. The cross was necessary. Christ became sin for us. He who knew no sin, the Bible said, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. The cross was necessary, but it's not the final part of the story. The tomb is empty and Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Oh, the Bible says that he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. So would you open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 20, and we'll begin reading in John 20, verses 1 and 2. This is what I call Mary at the tomb. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark, and she saw the stone already Take it away from the tomb. And so she ran and she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That was John. He never could get over the fact that Jesus loved him. And oh, I want to urge you today to identify yourself with a beloved disciple. You are beloved of the Father. You are beloved of the Lord. You are beloved by the Spirit. But beloved, don't ever get over the fact that Jesus ran you down and by his grace and mercy, by his spirit and by his word, he brought you unto himself. John never could get over it and he said he referred to himself in the third person, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And, and she said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. We are introduced to Mary Magdalene in Luke chapter 8. We're told very little about her life, but she is identified as the one in whom Jesus delivered from seven demons. Now the Bible doesn't tell us how it came about, how it was that Mary was inhabited by these demons, nor does it tell us the circumstances of how or when she met Jesus, but this we know. That when Mary Magdalene had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, she repented of her sins, believed on him, received him by faith, and he delivered her from that demonic depression. Up until then, we can be assured, although the Bible is silent on the subject, we can be assured that Mary Magdalene's life was miserable, was dreadful, and that whatever the way the uh, demons manifested their presence would have caused her not to be invited or even allowed, most likely to live within her community, and that she was uh, lived perhaps out in the tombs, maybe in the caves, but she was not allowed to enter into polite society because of the demonic depression. And then she met Jesus. Then she met Jesus. 
And from that time on, her great love for him, her devotion, her surrender, she followed him all the days of her life, committed herself to serving him. She was one, as Luke 8 tells us, of what is called the ministering women who supported the Lord Jesus and his disciples financially as well as ministered to them as they traveled along. Now here's the incredible thing, not only did he deliver her, not only did he save her, he gave her a front seat to the kingdom of God. You will recall that in Bible times women were not taught They were uh, denied education, and they did not sit under the teaching of rabbis. That was for young men and for uh, older men, for young boys and older men. But Jesus was building a kingdom that included everybody. And the Bible says that in Jesus there is neither male nor female, not slave or free man, not Scythian or barbarian, but all are one in Christ. And so he invited these precious women who had committed themselves to him, ministering to him, supporting him. He invited them to come front and center in his ministry. Now I can imagine it caused no a small amount of consternation among the men, even the disciples, that women were allowed to sit under the teaching of this rabbi. But Jesus was, throughout all of his earthly ministry, dismantling the norm of the day and he was teaching us that he was building a community a kingdom a body of Christ that included whosoever will whosoever will may come the Bible says and so here we see Mary knowing this is her background And Mary Magdalene now comes early in the morning, on Sunday morning, to the tomb. And she's bringing spices to complete the burial process. You will recall that because of Passover, uh, the, uh, um, the men that took him, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, were not able to fully finish all of the preparation of the burial. And so they did it partway and then put Jesus in the tomb so that they could go and participate in Passover. And so Mary is coming early in the morning. I'm sure she hasn't slept much at all for several days. The other Gospels tell us there were other women that came at about the same time. But John focuses on Mary Magdalene, and we will too for our study today. But she comes to the tomb with her spices to anoint the dead body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she is so startled when she sees that the tomb, the stone at the tomb has been rolled away. And the soldiers who had been sent there to guard it were AWOL. And so she runs to Simon Peter and to... um, John to tell them they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where he is. Next thing I want you to see is what I call uh, the disciples at the tomb. Look now in verse 3. And so Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first and stooping down and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been on his head, now not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And so the other disciple, that is John, who had first come to the tomb, then he entered and he saw 
and believed. Verse 9. For as yet they didn't understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And so the disciples went away to their own home. Peter and John paused for just a moment at the door of the tomb. John did not enter, but Peter brushed past him and ran in. And they were looking there in astonishment. It says, according to the um, commentaries that I read, that the general sense of John's account was that what they saw of the linen wrappings was a cocoon-type shape in the shape of the Lord Jesus, of the linen wrappings was laying there completely empty. And then John adds this little bit of interest to say that the face cloth was neatly folded and separated from the linen wrappings. It gave the appearance that Christ had been raised from the dead, that he had passed through those linen wrappings. He had paused long enough to neatly fold his face cloth and lay it aside. This was to dispel grave, grave robbers or any haste that possibly would have occurred. But rather, in his own time, in his own way, he has been raised from the dead. He told the disciples, no man takes my life, I lay it down and I lay it down and I will be able to raise it up again. And he neatly leaves the tomb and walks out very much alive. And it says that they looked at this and they still could not fully understand this. Beloved, we have to understand how confusing and distressing and upsetting the last few days had been. And while these disciples had been in the inner circle, while they had been taught and trained of the Lord, while they had heard him teach the masses and seen him do many miracles, it was so confusing to them when he talked about his death, burial, and resurrection. Donna mentioned several times in the last couple of weeks that the disciples and early followers of Christ were looking for a king to overthrow Rome and set up a kingdom on earth. They were looking for a military man. And so when Jesus went to the cross... His early followers had a hard time reconciling that with what they knew of him and what they believed his kingdom was all about. And so they're in torture and they're grieving and they're grief-stricken. And while they have heard, they don't have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. All they have is the Old Testament. And they just simply could not put all the pieces together. And yet John, as he sees this... I believe that the words of Jesus, those teaching and training that he had received, began to resonate and began to break through his very befuddled mind that was so full of anxiety and grief. And you remember that Jesus on the cross had assigned the care of his mother to John, so not only was he dealing with his own grief, he was trying to comfort the mother of Jesus. So we understand the devastation they were feeling and the grief and the anxiety and the angst. But John begins to piece this thing together when he sees this cocoon-shaped grave clothes that are there empty. And again, the face wrapping that is rolled up and laid to the side. And he began to believe. That is, he began to believe that indeed Jesus Christ had raised from the dead. 
Jesus had taught them this over and over in many ways and in parables and directly. And yet, as I said, because of all of the misunderstanding on their part and because they were still rather earthbound in their thinking, they were still grieving the Savior and dealing with the fallout and the aftermath of the cross. They were confused about the cross and couldn't quite figure out the resurrection. And so it says that the men, the disciples, verse 10, they went away to their own homes. I want to just give you a real quick little insight perhaps you haven't thought about. But I love the story of Mary of Bethany, and she's just one of my favorites of the Scripture. Mary was the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And you will remember that their home was in Bethany and the Lord Jesus often went there as he needed to pull away from ministry and pull away from the crowds. It was a place of refreshment and a place that he could go and enjoy fellowship and be renewed and refreshed there with his dear friends. Lazarus is the one he raised from the dead or one of the ones he raised from the dead. You remember the story that when the disciples showed up, uh, uh, Jesus and the disciples showed up at Mary and Martha's home. And they came unannounced. That was certainly the custom of the day. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have rest stops. They did not have hotels. So it was not anything unusual for people to stop in to a home. And uh, the Jewish community was well known for their great hospitality. But the Lord came, and whether he was there by himself or with the twelve, we're not really sure. But we know that he entered their home. And you remember that it was uh, Martha. and she, Now, she loved God. She loved the Lord. But Martha got all worked up about what in the world she was going to serve this very special guest in her house. And you remember that she went in the kitchen and she's banging around pots and pans and she's looking in there at her sister Mary and Mary is seated at the feet of the Lord and he is leaning in teaching her and her face is upturned and she is listening, hanging on every word the Lord has to say and Martha rather than rejoicing at her sister's time with the Lord, she begins to get very annoyed with her sister. And she begins to uh, complain to the Lord and say, do you not care? She has left me to do all the work alone. Nobody else does anything in this household but me. I'm the one. And frankly, I'm a little tired of it. A little put out with her. She could have done her part. Just look at her. She's just sitting there. Just sitting there. You remember that story? Well, it's interesting, but that same Mary, at a later event took a very costly vial of ointment and she came there to where the Lord was and she broke that vial and anointed his head and his feet and wept over him. That same Mary. And when the disciples and those gathered there were grumbling and complaining a bit and even Judas who was uh, about to, uh, was going to betray the Lord Jesus, he thought to himself, why is this oil being wasted? And Jesus, reading his thoughts, rebuked him and said, leave her alone because she's doing this for the day of my burial. Now what's fascinating is Mary of Bethany, as far as we can tell, does not show up at the empty tomb. As far as we can understand, Mary was one of the few followers of Christ that understood and believed that Christ would not only die but be raised from the dead. And Mary took advantage of his uh, uh, being in his presence to worship and praise and anoint him with oil. Then 
rather, rather than wait until he was dead? Mary was anointing his body, preparing him for the tomb. And yet even all his own disciples didn't seem to fully understand that. How was it that Mary understood? Well, the scripture does not tell us. And while I want to be very careful about what I say next, lest you think I'm adding to the scripture, I am not. I'm using my sanctified imagination and wondering. Thank you. I can tell you're with me in this. I just wonder why Martha was losing her temper in the kitchen and Mary was at his feet. Was that the time that he leaned in close, took her face with his hands, pulled her in, whispered to her, Mary, my time is nearly at hand. Mary, I'm about to go to the cross, but you listen to me in three days. I will be raised and I will ascend to the Father on high. Mary, the time is coming and it will be here soon, the cross. But don't lose heart, Mary. I'm going to the grave but for a very short time. I believe possibly that was the time. And Martha, beloved, could have heard it as well. Had she made him and time with him her priority? Now meals have to be prepared and special guests need to be served. But she had a privileged few would ever have, and that is to sit at his feet in a one-on-one -on -one audience with the king. Mary of Bethany didn't go to the, she didn't go to the tomb. She had already anointed the Lord while he was still alive, signifying she understood he would not be in the tomb for very long at all. Mary was one of the few who was eagerly anticipating finding out that the tomb was empty and Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. His own disciples were struggling, and we can understand that. The grief alone was paralyzing. And, and the, the fact that this was not what they expected was causing them great confusion. And so they went away to their own home. But the last thing I want to show you, beloved, is what I call Jesus at the tomb. Look in verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. That is the disciples, the two disciples have left her. She's alone. And she is weeping. That word literally means to wail uncontrollably. She is weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. Commentators said that the tomb opening was only about three and a half feet high. And so she stooped and she looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been laying. And, and they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, I don't know where they have laid him. Beloved, they asked her why she was weeping because they understood 
all of heaven was shouting hallelujah hallelujah the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world has been raised to newness of life and lives forevermore and the angels were looking at her and they were thinking to themselves oh mary this is not the time for weeping Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Oh, Mary, if you just could understand, if you could just quit thinking earthbound thoughts, if you could just lift up your eyes and realize that he is risen from the dead. But because of her confusion and because of her grief, she is still focused on the fact that she cannot find a dead Jesus. Look at verse 14. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? That is, why are you looking for a dead body? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, the gardener She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, then tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary! Beloved, don't you understand that when he called her name, she knew instantly it was her Lord, and she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Beloved, I believe the Lord Jesus Christ had some sort of inflection in his voice. That when he said her name, she knew without a shadow of a doubt, it was Jesus. God's been so good to God's been so good to Craig and I. And one of his great blessings is that both of our boys are married, building their own households of faith. Both of our boys have blessed us with grandchildren. Uh, Dawson and Catherine have four children. And one of those, or rather two of those, they have a set of twins, a boy and a girl. Now the thing that is so unusual about that for the Stockdales is that for 82 years, the lineage of Stockdales had not produced a girl until Miss Kendall joined the family tree. 82 years. And I've got to tell you, because we raised two boys, we don't even know what to do with a girl. Really and truly, we don't. I I can remember one time when she got very frustrated when Craig and I were keeping her, and she wasn't even quite two years old, and she just threw herself on the floor and just burst into tears. And Craig looked at me and said, "Did, did did I do that? And I said, yes, you did, and you need to stop it. And he said, I don't know how. I don't know how. But we have so enjoyed, after our years of raising boys, to watch this little girl. And Craig, when he calls her by her pet name that he has given her, he calls her Sweetie. And he uses an inflection, an intonation in his voice, unlike, beloved, anyone else. He calls me sweetie, but it's not the same. In fact, we had a boxer he used to call sweetie, and it sure did not sound like <laughs> that. tone for that name is reserved for Kendall alone, and I just can't help but believe 
that Mary and the Lord Jesus Christ had that kind of connection so that when he spoke her name, it had to be Jesus. It absolutely had to be Jesus. John tells us that Jesus calls his sheep by name. Hallelujah. He knows my name and he knows yours as well. I just love it that when he called her name, she instantly knew it was Jesus. And she said, Rabboni, which means teacher. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I send to my father and our father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then he said these things to her. Oh my goodness, Jesus at the tomb, do you understand the magnitude of this? The Lord could have revealed himself as the risen king to the two disciples. They had just recently been there at the tomb. But he revealed himself first in his resurrected state to a woman. Oh, don't let, don't let that pass you by. Women in this culture, beloved, they were marginalized. They were not allowed to be a witness in a trial. They could not purchase property. They were considered really just about like furniture or possessions. And yet throughout his ministry, as I said early, Jesus had been exalting the role of a woman so that they are on equal footing with the role of a man. Now, the roles are different for men and women, but as far as the value, it is equal in the sight of the Lord. And I believe this is significant for that very reason that he was testifying by this action that he invited everyone, men and women, boys and girls, whosoever will may come and dine with him. And so he appeared first to Mary, and then he assigned her the task to be the one to go and tell. Again, so amazingly significant. But before he sends her out, he tells her, stop clinging to me. I believe that he recognized in Mary that she was still with earthbound thinking. She was still identifying herself and him as his role of rabbi and teacher. And he is trying to teach her in this moment that that earthbound thinking is not going to cut it any longer because he, through the death, burial, and resurrection, has ushered in a new era. And that new era has new rules and new relationships, new rules, and that he is no longer just rabbi and teacher as he was in his earthly ministry. Now he is king of kings and lord of lords. Now he is the forever risen king. And that changed everything. Not only that, it changed relationships. For he tells her, go to my brethren. Up until this time, followers of Christ have been called his disciples or his servants or his followers. And now he calls them his brothers. Because not only is there new rules, there's new relationships. The Bible says that in Christ, that we have been made heirs of God. Just let that sit on your soul for a minute, daughter of the king. And joint heirs with Jesus Christ. 
Christ? Beloved, you and I, who are redeemed, have been exalted to a position through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we are co-equal with the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Father loves us as he loves his only begotten Son. And he calls us daughters. I don't know about you, but I did not come to Christ until I was 24 years old. And frankly, in my background, I had developed a very poor self-image. I thought I was worthless. I thought I was of no value. And I brought all that baggage in when I came to know Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, early on in my walk with the Lord, as I began to become a student of the Word of God and read and studied this book, this is over 40 years ago, that in an instant God healed that self-image when he revealed to me, excuse me, out of Ephesians chapter 1, you're accepted in the beloved. And I tell you, from that moment on, although I don't always feel acceptable, I don't always act acceptable, I don't always think of myself as acceptable, I stand in this truth, accepted in the beloved. I love that Mary Magdalene had a very painful, difficult past, and yet the Lord Jesus chose her to be the one, to see him first and to take the glad tidings that Christ is raised from the dead. And he says, go to my brethren. Now, where were his brethren? Beloved, they were hiding out. Uh, Peter was full of shame, as we can imagine, for denying the Christ, uh, the, that he belonged to Christ, denying the Lord Jesus there before the cross. We can imagine the others were scared to death. The Lord Jesus had been crucified. They had every reason to believe they would be next. And so we see in this lovely, lovely revelation as he speaks to Mary Magdalene, he says, Stop clinging to me. Quit thinking about me in old terms. I'm no longer rabbi and teacher. I am king of kings and lord of lords. I am the risen Lord, the king of glory. And I want you to go to my brethren. It was restoration. It was redemption. Go to them. Go to them and tell them that I'm going to ascend to my father and your Father, my God, and your God. That is, everything has changed because of the cross and the resurrection. Everything has been made new. Everything is different now because of what Jesus Christ did for us. He became sin and died a death that was just unspeakably horrible. Poured out innocent blood that he might redeem us. From our sins. The Bible clearly teaches that he died for the sins of the whole world. John 3, 16. God so loved the whole world he sent his son. Over and over in the scripture we read that he is the savior of all men. In John, 1 John chapter 2, John wrote that he is the propitiation for our sin. That is the sacrifice, the atonement for our sin. Not ours only, but for the sin of the whole world. He died for the sins of the whole world. But beloved, his blood is only applied to those who have received him in repentance and faith. He's paid the price and he invites whosoever will may come. 
And Paul wrote to Timothy that he desires for all men to be saved, for all to come to repentance, for none to perish. And yet, at his invitation, he invites us and we are required to make a moral decision to receive him or reject him. But those who receive him by faith, those who receive this gift of grace, the blood is applied to our account our sin debt is paid in full, and he declares, Tadalestai, it is finished. Oh, I'm so grateful to be one of the redeemed, one of those who at the age of 24, having lived a wicked life, having walked in my own way, having lived according to the sins of the flesh, having eagerly pursued them, came to the understanding that I was a sinner in need of a Savior and that Christ had died for me and was inviting me by his spirit and through his word to receive him in repentance and faith. And I've got to tell you, from that time till this, nothing has ever been the same. There were new rules for living and new relationships I could have never, ever dreamed of. And so, beloved, whether you're in this room today or if you're watching online i invite you to receive jesus christ with repentance that is sorry for your sin believe by faith in jesus christ if you will invite him in if that is the true desire of your heart he will come in and he will save you beloved i ask that you consider the cause of jesus christ well as we're drawing our message to a close I want to invite you one more time to think about resurrection morning. To reflect on what Mary saw and what she experienced and to enter into it. Beloved, we are like Mary Magdalene, sinners in need of a Savior. And yet because of Jesus Christ, because of the finished work of the cross, because the tomb is empty in Christ, beloved, we have been given access to the father oh do you understand that in christ we have been made whole in christ we've been redeemed in christ we have been ransomed out of the marketplace of sin in christ we've been accepted in the beloved blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places chosen before the foundation of the world we have been redeemed and we have been forgiven we've been sealed with the holy spirit of promise and he has been given to us as the down payment that guarantees our final redemption we have been made new old things have passed away and behold all things have been made new we've been given eternal life eternal life we've been given the spirit of the living god who comes now to dwell within every believer we've been given the word of god that's our external control and the spirit of god to inspire and encourage and enable us to walk in a life that brings honor and glory to jesus christ we have free and full access to the father we can go boldly the scripture says into the very throne room of god and speak to him face to face we can trust him we can count on him we can believe he is a good good father he is the giver of good gifts we can beloved live a life that brings honor and glory to him because we have been set free we've been given authority over all the powers of darkness we have been uh, set free from the bondage of sin and self and satan beloved that's who we are in jesus christ
because of the tomb is empty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Pray with me now. Lord Jesus, our hearts are so strangely warmed when we think about the empty tomb. Father, thank you. Thank you for what was wrought on the cross on our behalf. Sinless blood poured out that he might be the once for all time sacrifice for sin. But thank you, Father, the story does not end there. For though he died and was buried, he rose again on the third day. And Father, today, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are standing in resurrection. We thank you. We thank you for all that it means to us. We thank you that we've been made new in Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are no longer held captive by this world. In fact, the things of this world are growing strangely dim as we are focusing on Jesus Christ and what he has done to redeem all humanity. Father, I am praying for everyone who is listening to this message, either here or online, that wherever they are, you'll meet them in that place. For the woman who is disheartened and discouraged, despairing, for the woman who's walking through grief and sorrowing and suffering, for the one who is suffering from physical malady, for the one who's possibly being oppressed or possessed by Satan, and his demons, for the one who is struggling with a difficult marriage or financial issues, for the one who has a wayward child, a prodigal, and every day they're bombarding heaven. Bring that child home. Bring that child home. For those who are full of anxiety and despairing because we're living in very challenging times, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the authority of the Word of God, by the shed blood, I am speaking against anything, any addiction, anything that is contrary to the Spirit of the living God, and I am freeing the Spirit of God to move and work in every one of our lives. Father, do something today that is so stunning and staggering that all of us will know that we have been in your presence and that you have moved on our behalf. Oh, Father, we do love you. And Lord, I know it is time for your church, the body of Christ, your community to shake off the dust and to rise up. For you were in the process of preparing a bride for Jesus Christ, one who's without spot or blemish. And all of us cry out, oh, even so, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. Lord, as we go into this last song may the worship be pure the adoration be real may the praise that we lift to you come before you as sweet incense lord we love you we praise your name we thank you that we weren't redeemed with things like silver or gold Thank you that Jesus Christ was willing to pour out his sinless blood. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who by his great mercy has caused us 
to be redeemed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The tomb is empty. Let all God's people rejoice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.